then you're left with either it was a really fun experience or it was a really good show. Oftentimes those two things do are not part and parcel. Like there are shows in which I laughed harder every day from the moment I got there to the moment I left and I loved being there and nobody watched the show or I would see it on TV and I'm like, what were we laughing about? And then there are shows on my CV that are like incredibly well-respected, especially a lot of the, the, the kind of the single camera ones that were well, well loved by the critics. And I couldn't wait to leave at the, you know, at the end of the day, they were just, really really challenging work experiences or a very pedantic writer's room and a fun one so i'm not going to pick a favorite because my favorite really kind of differs based on like whatever the criteria and you know and i've yet to find the perfect show Brian and I continue our discussion. We discuss the many of the shows he's worked on and some experiences in the writing room and, of course, the Mary question. Enjoy the second half of our discussion. Tell me a little bit about when did you want, know you wanted to be a writer and did music and the storytelling of music feed that desire for you to be a storyteller? That is a wonderful question. Um, I have a two part answer which is not to say that i know what my answer is going to be but i assume it'll be in two parts okay um i think i became a writer initially um almost defensively okay because i always say to people nobody becomes a comedy writer because they were too popular in their in their middle school lunchroom or their relationship with their mother was too good um so like i think i discovered comedy as kind of a coping mechanism. I never knew I was funny. I was incredibly shy. But as I started to write things, I started to write these speeches for speech and debate in, in high school, people were like, wow, you're really funny. You sh-. And then I, I started to write a column at Brown and I was getting really good response. And it was like, people were like, wow, you're, you're, you're funny. I was like, I am? It's like, it never occurred to me. I, <laughs> didn't I, I didn't get that in high school and I didn't get that at home. Um, but it was the first time I ever kind of discovered a voice. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know, I, I didn't have words for it then, but obviously that's what I was doing. I was, it was the first time I was like kind of learning who I was by, through my writing. Um, so that's how I became a comedy writer. Okay. But I would say in the past 10 years, I, I've started to explore a lot of, a lot of different kinds of writing independent of, and, and in addition to my TV writing, which is included like writing a lot about, you know, my family dynamic and my father's passing and the, and the family aftermath to that passing. And I wrote a, so I, and I started writing a lot of pieces first for the Huffington Post, then for medium and for Substack. But I I have about 40 of them that are up uh, on HuffingtonPost.com under my name. And one of them is, is it's interesting. One of them I wrote, um, contemporaneous to the time that I was reading Bruce's autobiography. Okay. 
And, and the premise to this column was, and, and, and in addition to reading the Bruce book, I was reading American Pastoral by Philip Roth, an, another famous native son of New Jersey, a uh, different part of New Jersey, but, but equally evocative to Bruce in terms of capturing a sense of time and a sense of place. And what I wrote about in this column was how jealous I was of the two of them. And I was like, I, I acknowledge I was probably the only person who born and lived in Los Angeles who's jealous that he didn't grow up in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, but what I loved about them is there was something so clearly well delineated about where they grew up and what that experience was and their ability to write about their sense of place was palpable. Mm-hmm. But then as I got as as I continued on in the column, I started to realize that like growing up in the in the suburbs of Los Angeles, specifically in the San Fernando Valley, specifically in like Encino, which is a, a famous Jewish suburb of LA, that like my experiences were equally specific and equally valid. Um as kind of a thing to write about in a place of discovery. And consequently, I've written a lot more about whether it's in columns or pilots, and I wrote a novel. Um, All of them are very specific to where I grew up. And a lot of that I thought was sort of kind of retroactively inspired by Bruce and by Philip Roth and like other songwriters and, and novelists and any kind of storyteller who's, you know, voice is heavily influenced by where they grew up, where they live, and, and, and when they grew up. Uh, and I've started to sort of embrace what made my upbringing unique. You know, yeah. it, it, may, it may not be the source of a pop song, but, you know, like you pointed out earlier, the Beach Boys were able to take growing up in Hawthorne, a suburb of Los Angeles, and give their, and give themselves a unique voice and a unique sound. So there's no reason that anyone can't, with you know, with the proper introspection, dig deep and say, like, you know, wow, where I grew up and when is worthy of a of a story to tell. And yeah. I thought that, I thought that was, you know, that's probably the closest when you were said like, were you influenced by by songwriters and by Bruce specifically? I don't know. I don't think I was initially. At first, I just wanted to write jokes. And I wanted people mm-hmm. to like me and I wanted people to laugh and say I was funny. But, you know, with maturity and with kind of a greater range of storytelling, I was able to kind of find that connection, uh, you know, with, you know with, with not just Bruce, but like, you know, whether it's Tom Petty and, you know, and his, you know, and his roots in Gainesville, you know, Gainesville, Florida, or uh, mm-hmm. John Mellencamp in, you know, in Bloomington, Indiana, or Bob Seger in Detroit, you know. Or even, you know, Eminem, you know, there's there's no shortage of writers, songwriters whose sense of place is really yeah. foundational to their success and foundational to their ability to, to, to craft stories that are unique to their experiences. Did is um, I, I, I think, right. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I know that uh, Mike Myers once in an interview said, I'm this, I became a comedian because I want everyone to love me. What, have you never met a comedian before? And um, I know one of my favorite stories is from Mark Evanier, who also has written for TV and done a lot of comic book writing. And he's one of my favorite bloggers. And, you know, he grew up in the California area too. And he talked about that 
when he met Dick Van Dyke, he was trying, he was trying to tell him that, you know, I became a TV writer. And he said, Dick Van Dyke stopped him and said, you thought that you would get to hang out with fun people like I did the Dick Van show and you could marry, marry Tyler Moore. And Absolutely. Mark Everett goes, yes. And he says, you'd be surprised how many people have told me that story. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a, that is a, that is a common story, and it's a common story about what you thought it was going to be like. Yes, you know, but you know, but the the reality of it is, yeah, uh, a, a disproportionately high number of comedy writers get into it like less by choice and more by necessity. Right, that it's it's kind of how you learned to cope with the world and a world that at times could feel lonely and hostile. Yeah, and. And a lot of people are trying to sort of fill a hole in their soul, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the laughter of others. So it's it's a fast, it's a fa- and and I'm sure musicians, many of them would probably say the same things. Like they didn't turn to become storytellers or musicians because they saw the career path. I think they turned to it as a way of making sense of the world and healing their pain. And then they looked up and were like, "Wow." I can also make money at it or Mm -hmm. wow, people are responding to it. I'm going to keep doing it. But I do think that um, there's a lot of similarities in the type of people who become comics and stand-up comics and comedy writers and those who become musicians, Um, you know, probably more so than like drama writers or movie writers or comic book writers. And, And I'm sure there are people across all the disciplines who would say it's true but i think there's something very specific about comedy and music that draw from people with very similar disposition yeah do um is trying to pick children right you can't but is there a specific you've you've worked on a lot of great shows i mean i i'm looking at this last man standing and and you know Big Shots, Jake Effect, New Adventures of Oak Christine, Eight Simple Rules. This says nothing of I'm with her, which, by the way, I wish could have gone longer because I love that premise. <laughs> they, they, well, they were both just very fascinating leads. And, uh, you know, you, you, in the like in one of the first few episodes, they used the John Hyatt song, uh, you know, for that was the date, right? That oh, he, yes, yeah, uh, have it. That's right. Have a little faith in me. Good, good memory. Yeah. Yeah, well, John Hyatt is one of my other favorite musicians. You have good taste. That's yeah. fantastic. And so is there is there one that you go, man, I would have loved to have done this one just because of the people involved? And is that hard to say? You mean specifically of the ones that I've, that I've been on? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, if you want to share your wish list of, you yeah, know, no, of no, room no, you I, would have I, liked I, to work on. No, I mean, it's. It's a difficult question, and I'll tell you why it's difficult. Because every show, and I created none of them. So I should, yeah. I should tell you that I have, like, none were my own creation, and none do I have any sort of financial interest in, in their success. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, let, so let's eliminate those two reasons. Right. Then you're left with either it was a really fun experience or it was a really good show. Yeah. And, and, Oftentimes, those two things do are not part and parcel. Like yes. there, there, there are shows in which I laughed harder every day from the moment I got there to the moment I left, and I loved being there. And nobody watched the show, or 
or I would see it on TV and I'm like, what were we laughing about? And then there are shows on my CV that are like incredibly well-respected, especially a lot of the, the, the kind of the single camera ones that were well, well loved by the critics. And I couldn't wait to leave at the, you know, at the end of the day, they were just yeah. really, really challenging work experiences or a very pedantic writer's room more yeah. than a fun one. So um, I, I'm not going to pick a favorite because my favorite really kind of differs based on like whatever the criteria is. Sure. And, you know, and I've yet to find the perfect show. So you know? what, what would frustrate me and I, I probably am preaching to the choir, but you know, when you and I exchanged some email, you know, Twitter messages. And you said, sure, Jesse, I'd love to be on the show. So, you know, I go to IMDb and, you know, I'm going, hmm, Jennifer Falls. What? Holy, sh holy shit. I, I love this actress. How did I miss this show? Right? Like, you yeah, know, no, no. I mean, there's, I mean, we're, we're in a, we're in a time of unlimited content yeah. and, yet no, and yet no jobs. But that's for another day. But the, but let's stick with the unlimited content part. Like, yeah. it's very yes, you can be the world's biggest Jamie Presley fan and still not know that she had a eight episode show on TV Land in, in 2014 because we're busy living our lives. Yes, it's not streaming anywhere. I was telling my wife about it because she loved her on Mom. No, and getting... I loved her on and I loved her on Earl. Oh um, yes, absolutely. So there are, there are still plenty of places you can stream if you love yeah. Jamie Presley. You may not be able to find Jennifer Falls just yet. But Save Me looks like it was hilarious. And once and again, Jamie, never heard of that. I mean, you had Anne Hayes thinking that she could talk to God. I mean, you know, what's not to like? Yeah. But again, like that was a really difficult production in yeah. which we did, we did six episodes. And they fired the showrunner. They fired, yeah, fired the boss. Threw out the six episodes, and we started again with another six with another boss. Wow! You know, so like, you know, like one of the beauties, and, and I, you know, I'm using the word beauty very loosely, but yeah, one of the benefits of having done this as long as I have is you learn not to judge any. You learn not to extrapolate from any one experience. Yes. Like, like I had a pretty tough time on my first job which was Ned and Stacy on Fox back in the 96, 97. Yeah. It was one of my favorite shows. It was my favorite show as a fan the year before when I was just living in San Francisco and watching it, thinking like, wow, someday I'd love to be on a TV show. And the next year I was, but it was really hard to be in that room. Um, but when that was my only experience, it was hard not to assume that like, Wow, if I'm having difficulty here, who's to say that they won't all be like this? And and what yeah. I've discovered is there is no shortage of different experiences if you're fortunate enough to, you know, to have this career for as long as I've been. So Brian, um, do you yes, do you do you think it's the showrunner that that helps make the tone? Yes. Okay. Um that's the short answer and the long answer. Yeah, no, I it makes sense. So no, but, but but I will say that, that that tone can be can represent any number of things from oh the showrunner is mean the showrunner doesn't want to go home because he hates his wife yeah so he, so he makes you work till four in the morning um or the showrunner can be someone who doesn't have a very strong sense of what the series is about 
Mm-hmm. Whereas, for instance, the woman I worked with who ran The New Adventures of Old Christine was brilliant at knowing exactly the tone of the show, exactly how she wanted the show to be run. Um, but then she fired me after the first season. So, like, you can you can have a showrunner who is great at their job, but then may not connect with you. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's no shortage of landmines and pitfalls and yeah. and reasons reasons that an experience can get tricky. Similar to um, professional managers and coaches, you're and often in entertainment jobs, you're you know very few jobs are you know this will not be your last job right like you know either the somewhat the the audience is going to tell you you're no longer needed the showrunner is going to tell you are needed the exec the network may say along you're no needed right I mean, there, it is the nature of the business absolutely and that again is a function of doing it long enough to gaining that perspective. All right. So I have one more pet peeve and then we'll get back to music. And, and I, I, this is, I remember, and I can't remember the year you probably do, but I remember when, when you, the TV writers had a strike. And one of the things they were talking about is that the way you were compensated, you got paid X money for the first broadcast and then Y money for a rerun, but reruns were going away and no one was being paid for streaming and they didn't want to pay for streaming because they weren't making any money. And now then I get angry every time I go to stream something and it says fast forwarding is uh, disabled and I have to sit through ads and and I go, I bet you they're not paying the writers one freaking penny for these. Just well, want to share. I didn't want to give you don't have to answer. I just want to vent no, no, to no, someone no, who no. might know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably better that I. Yes, not we'll move on. The box, but I mean, you are correct in, in, in the way you described the uh, the issues facing the writers then. I mean, and, and you can see how prescient they were in, in 2008. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone could have imagined the extent to which all TV would have gone to the internet and gone to streaming. But um, yes, the old model is no longer being applied in terms of reruns because there's no such thing as a rerun on a, a streaming service because everything's a rerun essentially. Yeah. And they, um, so there, I mean, there is a model that was worked out by the guild in you know in, you know in the previous previous bargaining sessions in which there is a payout for a show you know for a show that streams yeah. but it's nothing that compares to either the reruns that you were describing on on first run broadcast yeah or when a show is syndicated uh you know so yeah. so many so so many of the financial incentives um that sort of lured a lot of people to become tv writers have gone away with the uh proliferation of streaming yeah but that's for another day. That is for another podcast. All right. So um, you mentioned Letter to You. So thoughts on Western Stars and Letter to You? Um, Western Stars, I don't know as well. Okay. Although I think I, I although I, I did watch the accompanying movies on both. Um, yeah. I love Hello Sunshine. Um, I love the premise of the album, you know, which is that he wanted it to sound, you know, akin to kind of a early 70s like 
AM radio, yeah, Laurel Canyon kind of vibe. We, you know, which I, you know, I, I live two blocks from Laurel Canyon, you know, so that was, you know, riding around in a, in my parents' Dodge Dart in the seventies, listening to those kind of Canyon sounds is right up my alley. So yeah. I think I will give it a, 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 definitely, I should give it another, another visit. Well, and uh, it felt like Elmore Leonard short stories, right? Like I, I was a big justified fan and, and, oh, you know, cool. and it felt like some of the short stories felt like this. Oh, it's a collection of Elmore Leonard short stories. So yes. Yeah. Now, now letter to you. And again, I think so much of the way that we respond to music and, and to Bruce specifically has to do with the context in which we hear it. Yes. Now, it came out during the pandemic. It came out at a time when I was deeply depressed and not working. And it just struck me as like such, it's so emo- like emotionally resonant, you know, everything from ghosts to letter to you to I'll see you in my dreams you know, and then like there were the, those trio of of old songs that we referred to at the beginning of the podcast um, that he had kind of repurposed, um, and then all of that coupled with such a with that beautiful black and white documentary that went with it. Um, so there was something about I have no idea which of or or any of those songs which will have staying power. It's hard not to imagine him opening with ghosts a yes. lot or encoring with it. Uh, yeah. That you know that just sounds like a, a crowd favorite, but I don't know that I realized how much I missed that E Street in the studio sound. Yes, you know that so much of it like set, reminded me of uh, of all the things that I love about Born in the USA and the River specifically. Yeah, um, you know, and also you know, I, and I don't want to do get, give them short shrift, but the Rising and Magic are. are also two of my all-time faves and i'm also a big fan of a lot of um working on a dream yeah Um, you know like in the way we were talking about uh western stars being about a certain time i know that like a lot of working on a dream was meant to evoke a lot of like kind of a more poppier sound and again poppier in a good way it's not like you know you're not going to play it next to doja cat or dua lipa you know, or Drake on the radio right now, or Harry yeah. Styles, but like pop in the sense that, like, you know, uh, tomorrow never it was it. Oh, I, you know, there was a song. To, uh, is it tomorrow? It's not tomorrow never knows because that's a Beatles song. Yeah, uh, there was a song like that. And there was surprise, surprise. Sure, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and Kingdom of Days. I found again. You know, that was not long after my dad died, and that was another one of those songs that I found you know, both like as a nice balm, you know, mm-hmm. toward, you know, to a lot of my depression. Yeah. So, so like, so you never know what you're going to, like, even on albums that wouldn't necessarily be anyone's favorites. Like, Hey, I still love the song lucky town. I love better days. I, I love yeah. human touch. You know, you may not, you may or may not love an entire album, you know, but I love mm-hmm. land of hope and dreams, you know, there's. Yeah. There's- so like, I was very clear I, I mentioned this often on the podcast in 2020 that um, if we got a, when there started being rumors about a new Bruce album, you know, and it, the, we're just in the middle of this pandemic and it was such a horrible year. And I said, if we got a new president in the fall of 2020 and a new Springsteen album, perhaps this may not be the worst year in history. No, um, we, we, we were doubly blessed. Yes. And so, uh, so yeah, I, 
it is hard for me to disconnect. For example, my first show was a rising show. And so I, I really, like everyone, I have feelings about the rising, you know, with everything that happened in 9-11. And then the next time I went and saw Bruce was a Devils and Dust tour. So while some people may not have a lot of, you know, like, eh, it's okay, because it was the first album I, I had really... I knew I was going to see him. So I listened to Devils and Dust over and over and over again. So like, okay, if he plays something from this album, I'm ready. And so therefore I have a lot of happy memories about that release because it was the first show I felt like I'd done my homework that, you know, I, I actually knew what I was going into understanding. So, yeah. yeah I totally get it. I mean, and specifically about Bruce, the rising and, and 9-11, um even like before the even before the rising came out you know i, I just you know I, I remembered just that bewildering numbness that we all felt and you know one of the first things that gave me any hope or solace was that uh america tribute to heroes concert yes um, that was you know not even like a like a concert concert but like a almost a series of musical vignettes and bruce could have played any number of songs that we knew but he played a brand new composition that hadn't been recorded yet my city of ruins um, yeah. and he played it acoustic and it was just so deeply moving and resonant and it's hard not to associate that song with that 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 concert but though but that song with our feelings post 9 11 and i think you know that's kind of what i was you know sort of getting at earlier and in, 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 in fact i feel both of us were in a, that as adults so many of our bruce memories are you know have to do with the emotions we were feeling contemporaneous to that music coming out and in sort of the events in our that we were going through either in our personal life with your illness with my you know with my grief um you know I, I, and i think you know a lot of bruce songs even the ones that we knew from growing up or knew in our teens or our twenties have taken on a greater resonance as the years have passed, both in our lives and in terms of his performance of them. Um, you know, I go back to, and I know we mentioned it a little earlier, but so many of those songs that he sang in the Bruce on Broadway piece just have so much more emotional weight being sung by an old man looking back than they even did being sung at the, when they first came out, being sung by a, a young person with, with his whole life ahead of him. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, as in my case as a f almost 57 year old man, yeah. you know, I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing those that I'm hearing the songs again, you know, with mortality in mind and maturity in mind. Yes. And, it, and I think, I think that's, what's given his music more than a lot of people's music so much more staying power it, it, it is that emotional connection yeah I, I well said well said all right um i'm going to end this with the mary question but before i get to that any final thoughts you want to share brian no i i, I don't know what your last question is so i'm, I'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of nervous about that because i didn't oh. hear what you said okay but, uh, no i i greatly appreciate you uh seeking me out um, I was a little hesitant to, to come on for the last, 
I'm not sure when you first contacted me, but ironically, I, I, w- I had not been in a very Bruce phase um, when you first reached out to me, and I felt a little disingenuous coming on and talking about him. I had just, dis- for whatever reason, during a lot of the depression and the pandemic, in addition to Letter to You, I, I, I had kind of like immersed myself in the history of country music. Um, oh. it, it's some, something I know very little about. That um, Ken Burns documentary was brilliant. Yeah, and that's what that was my gateway. I watched the documentary like during the first week of the pandemic, and from there I just continued to dive deeper and deeper into in, in, into Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard and George Jones and Tammy Wynette and Loretta Lynn and Dolly and and from there you know it was just like and especially we're talking about me a Jew from Encino like country music does not come naturally. Sure. Um, you know, so I, 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 I'm both more in a Bruce phase now, but also the things that connect me about the storytelling of people telling honest country stories. You know, country has just as much schlock as any other genre. Yeah. But the, ones, but the songs that are from the heart and that are, and have, a, you know, and connect emotionally, I, I'm able to see kind of the through line between that and Bruce and why, someone who loves, you know, Willie Nelson or Merle Haggard or Johnny Cash might also love Bruce because they're all singing from the heart and writing from the heart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love Johnny's version of Highway Patrolman. And it just, in fact, yeah. I I may prefer that over Bruce's version. Um, and I don't blame you, know, you. I would, you know, and, you know, I, I would love to sit down with Roseanne Cash, right? Because she's, you know, just because listening, watching that documentary and Marty Stewart and these, you're like, how much fun would it be to just sit down with a, a beverage of your choice and just listen to them tell stories? So I'm yeah, right there I mean, with and, you. And, and again, like, I don't have the connection to it of like, oh, I grew up listening to Pappy's radio because like, this was all new. This was like I had just discovered an alternate universe. But like, you know, if you didn't cry when Roseanne Cash sang I Still Miss Someone at uh, at Johnny Cash's memorial, you know, at the Ryman, like you don't have a heart. You well, know? But whether, whether you knew it or not. Yeah. Well, and what meant a lot to me, because, you know, if if you were interviewing me and you said, what's your origin story? You know, I would tell you, I grew up. My parents loved country music. Uh, my mom, my dad was from Tennessee, Ohio. My mom was from Louisiana. I was born in Louisiana. I spent, my dad was in the army, so we moved around a lot. But by far, most of our time was either in Kentucky or Louisiana. And country music was all we listened to. I mean, I, that's all I heard. So I, I grew up listening to Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and Charlie Pride and Hank Williams. And so hearing all that, it brings me back. In fact, when Merle Haggard died, I felt like I lost my dad all over again. You know, it just because he loved that music so much and Willie Nelson. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an amazing world out there. And I think you said it really well. Absolutely. There is some shiny fake cowboy hat, bro country out there but there's also people that are telling good stories that yeah, are and, beautiful and, stories and, and they're still and, and to this day you know yeah. the things i hear from chris stapleton and luke combs and yeah. miranda lambert and Marin morris yeah. you know like those that you know anyone who tells a story from the heart about and, and speaks truth 
and, and roots their songs in a time and place and specific areas. You know, you can be, like I said, a Jewish fellow from Encino and, and still be deeply moved by Chris Stapleton's stories about his his upbringing. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that's the, that's the power of music. And I think, obviously, it would have been more emotional to me watching Ken Burns and doing that kind of extensive country music research if I had grown up on it. Yeah. But the, but the, but the truth is I did it. And, and, and I was, that afforded me an opportunity as a, as a 55 year old man to hear it for the first time and react to it completely out of context, just as a piece of art. And, uh, and, and it's been a really, it's been a really joyous exploration and, and, and a kind and a very fruitful one as well. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Hope you had fun. I uh, let me see. Yeah. Uh, so fun. I mean, and I even missed the NBA draft for this. That's how excited I was. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Luckily, the Mavericks traded their pick, so I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, So, yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, go ahead, sir. I was going to ask you, did were you were you the L.A. Raiders? Was that your football team? Because that seems right. The right time for you. Right. Um, I, I did enjoy the Raiders. They they did win the Super Bowl when I was in high school. Um, but my real love was the Rams. Okay. It uh, was. Yes. That, that's what I, I mean, the Rams, were, the, it's hard to even kind of explain to someone. The Rams were arguably bigger than the Dodgers or the Lakers in the city of LA. When I grew up, it started to change when they moved to orange County. And obviously sure. it changed a lot when they, when they went to St. Louis, but uh, prior to that, they, that, that was, that's, I have a lot of really great memories of watching games with my dad and, you know, and his mm-hmm. buddies and a lot of, so yeah. a lot of it's sort of tied into that. My son, um, we, we moved to Dallas in 86. And so he was born in 89. So he's lived in Dallas his whole life and, you know, he bleeds Cowboys, right? Like it's just, that's, that's it, you know? And so, uh, and I will, I will, I will tell him tomorrow about your, comment about loving troy back you know because of his college days so oh my god troy was i mean troy was a godsend in 88 80, 87 88 yeah Bruins. you know to get him as a transfer from uh from oklahoma was yeah. a, a miracle um i'll leave you with this because you know there was a period a long period where we had no team and you yeah know, and i had a son who loved football we didn't know what to do so i you know it wasn't that I was trying to turn him into a Cowboys fan, but the closest we could get to pro football was driving up the coast to Oxnard to see uh, sure. Cowboys Cowboys training camp. So we had a great day. <laughs> we had a great day up there watching uh, Tony Romo and eating tri-tip sandwiches. And oh man, uh, I love that. And, and I almost pulled it off until f- uh, Father and Son by Cat Stevens came on the radio on the on the ride home, and I looked over at my boy. And I started sobbing and I was like, oh man, I was so close to being like a cool dad. But, uh, <laughs> I love that. Here's my question. I end every podcast with this question. So I'll give you the premise. Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher from the Philadelphia area. He just recently retired. Uh, he's just written a book, Bedtime Stories for the Living, uh, talking about he has a chronic illness and it's uh, caused him where he had to quit teaching. But when he was teaching, his seniors 
They would spend two days in their honored English class breaking apart Thunder Road. They would look at the lyrics. They would look at the themes. They would talk about, you know, what Bruce is trying to say and explore. And at the end of the two days, Jay would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So, Brian, that is your question. (laughs) Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Wow. That's a tough question. I... I'm going to say yes. I, I, I don't really know the answer, nor do I have a strong opinion. Okay. But I am a, as, as much as Bruce chronicles people who sometimes feel trapped by circumstance and trapped, you know, whether it's in a dead end town or their family of origin or the, you know, the place they grew up in that may not be surrounded by people like them. Um, I, I think his ultimate message is usually one of hope. And and it's usually one that lands on the concept, you know, that there are better days ahead, that, that you, that if you get that, you know, America is a place of, of unlimited potential and opportunity, and that there's always an open road ahead for you. And if you just get on the road in the dead end town, um, you know, you're going to find your bliss and you're going to find your happiness. Uh, So I'm going to, I'm going to end on a hopeful note. And uh, and say that, you know, that, that yes, you got us in the car. Wonderful. Great answer. Uh, if someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Well, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a social media nerd who uh, has tried to embrace, you know, even at my age, tried to embrace all forms of it. Um, I'm probably best known if I'm known for anything uh, for my Twitter account. Okay. which is just my name, uh, Brian Bihar, B-R-Y-A-N, B-E-H-A-R. I'm up to uh, 207,000 followers, which is not bad for a for an old geezer like myself. Who, Very nice. Even uh, I, I realized a couple of days ago that even Nils Lofgren follows me. So look Very out. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. That's great. I, I, I have no idea why, but, uh, um, you know, but if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to throw up a, uh, some publicity for this uh, session. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to say that we did it. And then uh, once you have a, uh, something to listen to, I will also, uh, I'll also let my followers and friends Absolutely. know about it. So I, I I've will. had a wonderful time and it's been a pleasure. I, I, I mean, this is a, uh, Bruce is a topic that no one's ever asked me about. And I, 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 I felt I had surpri- a surprising a lot to discuss. And that's a, <laughs> a tribute to the questions you asked and just, you know, and, and the man himself and just a lot of the feelings that that he and his music have engendered over the over many, many decades. So uh, this was a pleasure. Well, Brian, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. Um, I, I love that's one of my favorite compliments is I've had, you know, like sportscasters on and sports writers and and, you know, novelists and you know, and they'll say, you know, I, I usually have to talk about my book or I'm usually talking about, you know, the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Marlins or, you know, or, or you know, or the Eagles. And to have a chance to talk to Bruce is just a joy. So I'm glad you had fun. I think this was a great interview. I, 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 I just loved visiting with you and I could visit with you anytime. So when, whenever your next gig is, reach out to me and we're going to have you on and we're going to promote your new gig to oh, try to awesome. get some viewers on. Okay. That's great. You're, 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 even though I only met you tonight for real, you're yeah. a kind man and uh, it's very much appreciated. Thank you uh, for giving me a forum to, to talk about stuff, you know, 
all of which is, you know, all of which feels meaningful. I, um, you know, we talked about a lot more than music. We talked about uh, real life and feelings and uh, I, I'm, I'm totally up for that. And, uh, well, that sounds very, great. Very appreciative. All right, listeners, go get vaccinated, go get boosted, and let's try to be kind to each other because really that's the only way we're going to get through. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. These are the wonderful patrons of this podcast. Their financial support helps the podcast to keep going. I want to send a major shout out and thank you to Steve Rogers. Chris Bloom, Randy Brown, Betsy Hodges, Anna Lynn, Stephen Malio, Andrew Goddard, Crystal Carroll, Dale Hosek, Bella Pori, Terry Smith, John Munson, Mary Thomas, and Rob Barnett. Thank you, team. You guys are the best. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. You can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. That listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.